The most rapid monetary tightening in over 40 years is still filtering through both the economy and the stock market. With rates rapidly moving higher, the era of growth at any price is all but over, and investors are reprioritizing profitability and reasonable valuations. Last year, there were not many places to hide in sectors like information technology and communication services where some of the most expensive stocks were concentrated. Nearly every company was thrown out in the rush to exit higher-duration assets. But as a result, that has created what I would say are some very interesting long-term opportunities. Secular growth trends that have been firmly in place didn't suddenly cease to exist. The need for things like cybersecurity, the transition to cloud computing, the Internet of Things, the growth of artificial intelligence or AI. There is tremendous innovation that is still taking place, and there are some very good companies that are exposed to the growth of these themes. But for the past year, tech has largely been viewed as a monolith and generally been treated as such by investors. But I would argue this is far from reality, and there are still some really interesting areas that investors should be looking at in the future. This is Markets in Focus from Raymond James Investment Management. I'm your host, Matt Orton, and I invite you to join me and my colleagues as we discuss the latest trends and developments driving the markets. Visit us at marketsinfocuspodcast.com for additional episodes and insights. So given this backdrop, I want to welcome back Tariq Siddiqui, who's a senior research analyst at Eagle Asset Management, to help explore some of these secular growth themes, new technologies, and how he's looking at them from an investment standpoint. Tariq, thanks for being here today. Great to be here. Thank you. Diving right in, I would say enough ink has been spilled on the weakness within information technology last year, so we don't need to do that. And I think then it's worth maybe discussing some of the key secular growth themes that you're paying attention to right now, which are particularly relevant, I'd say, given your focus on small and mid-cap information technology. Yeah, uh, thanks. I think it's important to talk about various themes that remain ever important and in some cases have only become more relevant over the last year. So despite the volatility in the market that you talked about, we continue to follow some very important themes. Uh, Markets will do what they have to do in terms of various macro factors and everything else. But what keeps me excited day in, day out about technology investing are these broader themes. In our group, we follow quite a few themes, but I can certainly discuss some of the ones that are very top of the mind for us. So first, let's talk about this. Uh, this thing called artificial intelligence. AI continues to be a transformative uh, technology across various industries. We're seeing things like chatbots. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about ChatGPT. Image recognition uses AI. Uh, predictive analytics is, is uh, really uh, working with AI. To be fair, though, AI has been in use for quite some time. It's not something that just came over in the last six months. The various algorithms that Google and other search engines have been relying on are basically AI. Something as ordinary as your spam filter in your email is a form of AI. And Siri and Alexa and your consumer devices are using AI to understand human speech and then respond back. Automated decision-making and things like games or even self-driving cars. AI is being adopted in almost every industry. So that's one major theme that will have implications for the next few years. 
Uh, moving on, Internet of Things is a very important, impactful theme. The IoT market is rapidly expanding with more and more devices and sensors connected to the Internet and sharing data back and forth. I believe that companies that are developing and selling IoT solutions for things in your smart homes, smart cities, uh, various uh, industries really offer significant growth potential. Another major theme is cloud computing. It has become essential for businesses of all sizes now. Companies that provide cloud-based infrastructure, software, and platform solutions are growing in popularity. This is a theme that, quite frankly, has been important for a better part of my entire career, but remains as relevant as ever. The benefits of cloud usage versus installed, on-premise, old stuff, let's just call it, are just so overwhelmingly in the favor of the cloud camp now that lesser and lesser use cases make sense for remaining on-premise. Cloud computing is even conquering the last area, such as top national government-level security projects. Core banking software is going cloud, so a lot of really good growth for cloud computing. Another area that we're looking at is cybersecurity with the number of cyber attacks that are happening. It remains a very crucial theme for us. Regardless of what the macro environment looks like, management teams continue to highlight the importance of cybersecurity in their budgets and usually remains like number one, number two in their budget. The CIO, the CSO, CFO, they all agree we have to have security. Of course, there are times of accelerating spend on cybersecurity, and then perhaps times like now when there's some digestion period. But cybersecurity remains a high priority spending item for most companies. Another important theme is renewable energy. Climate change and sustainability are important issues, and renewable energy is a potential investment theme for investors looking to support a cleaner energy future. Uh, Companies that develop uh, renewable energy solutions and infrastructure, uh, components that play on those are all interesting investment ideas for us. And related to that, I guess, uh, EVs, electric vehicles, are gaining popularity as more and more consumers and governments seek to reduce emission from transportation. Uh, Companies that develop electric vehicles, charging stations, and related technologies that offer significant growth potential over the next decade. And governments continue to offer subsidies and other incentives for adoption of these cars. So so that's a really strong one, too, for the next uh, couple of couple of years into the decade. So, yeah, these are all the themes that we follow on a regular basis. Yeah, well, that's no shortage of themes that, that you're following right now. But I think it highlights how we started this off, that there's a lot of really powerful secular growth themes. And just to build on this a little bit, Tariq, what do you think the market is missing? with respect to some of these growth themes? Because the baby seems to have been thrown out with the valuation bathwater and the sell-off that we had last year. Which of these themes are investable right now? I feel like all of these have very interesting areas that you should be looking into. Really, what it comes down to for us is that in these kind of wild gyrations, these debates that we have on a daily, weekly basis about what to pay for something and how to utilize it, how to utilize it into our portfolio, that's something that continues to happen on a daily basis. Sometimes we see euphoria in these themes, right? And sometimes everyone gets so disappointed or so focused on macro issues that these themes seem to be forgotten. Uh, Same exact investors that believed cloud computing companies can grow 30, 40, 50% 50% in perpetuity and never have to show any profits have all of a sudden become value investors asking deep questions about the true payback on a cloud investment, what the margin is going to look like and what the payback is. And they couldn't care any more about what the growth profile is. So our job as investors here is to remain somewhere in the middle and try to zig when the masses are sort of zagging. I believe these themes remain relevant. All of them remain relevant in some way, shape or form. And our job is to find the companies that are best positioned to take advantage of these large thematic waves and try, of course, not to overpay for them. 
That's great. And so maybe two themes to dive a little bit deeper into, at least for right now, cybersecurity and artificial intelligence. Cyber is is one that's always discussed with, I would say, really, really broad brushstrokes. But maybe you can help break it down. You know, what are the key segments on which companies actually focus? You know, what are they actually delivering to an end client? And are there any parts of the IT market that are tangential beneficiaries to growth here, like semiconductors or something like that? Of course, yeah. So let's start of the two. Let's start with the cybersecurity first. Uh, this is a complex area with quite a few areas of discussion. But in aggregate, cybersecurity is basically every aspect of protecting an organization and its assets and employees from cyber threats, right? Given how every organization of any size now is connected to the internet to accomplish their tasks, the addressable market of the number of customers is almost every company. And in dollar terms, something like $150 billion is spent on cybersecurity annually and is growing at two to three times the rate of GDP globally. I don't really have to explain the consequences of not securing one's networks, right? Small companies have gone out of business due to cyber attacks and large ones have either lost millions of dollars to hackers or paid millions in fines or hurt their business reputation and in some cases have suffered all three of those. So really, cybersecurity is very, very important. Within cybersecurity, though, there are major buckets that we look at. There's first one, the big one that I would talk about is network security. This is where the net attacks happen on the network. So what you want to do is secure the data and the access control. Who can get in and out of the network, where they're allowed to go, which assets they can have access to, what type of data they can see and manipulate. This could be the, the general firewall that's on the perimeter of the network, as well as down to the individual hardware assets, or even down to individual files on that network. You have things like intrusion prevention in here, antivirus, sandboxing. You can also add in network analytics, threat hunting, and response technologies in here. After network, the next big one is cloud security. As I discussed earlier, cloud is everywhere now. These cloud security solutions are really controls and like policies and services that help protect an organization's entire cloud deployment, whether that's like the applications, the data, the infrastructure, et cetera, and all of this have to be protected against an attack. Some of the large hyperscale providers have their own security solutions that come with the cloud offering, but usually they don't have the expertise and the in-depth knowledge of the security issues that third-party individual cybersecurity providers have. After that, we have endpoint security. This is the security that's basically securing that PC that is sitting in the office or on the remote campus. And now, of course, over the last couple of years, we've had the whole uh, work from home side of situation. So protecting whatever that PC is doing, or even that smartphone that can access the enterprise's network, or even just that email, anti-phishing, anti-ransomware is all part of this whole endpoint security bucket. Moving on, we have IoT security. As I talked a little bit about the theme, this is an emerging issue as a number of devices that can talk over the internet and sort of share data back and forth uh, immediately comes a risk of hacking those devices. Usually IoT devices tend to have lower software code, so hacking them in a way is harder and less fruitful. But as the capabilities increase and the number of devices increases, IoT devices are becoming an entrance into the main networks. And of course, there are a lot of good and not so good companies in the space. So technology changes rapidly as threats evolve and the companies that have a great point solution today can easily be left in the dust with a better solution tomorrow or the threat evolves to another vulnerable area and the budget dollars shift. So you have to remain very much on top of this theme. So even within the theme, it's fairly complex. So when you look at and identify investment opportunities, you know, are there companies that provide all of these different services? Are there companies that specialize in, say, just network security or, or cloud security? Do you look at those types of companies differently? 
No, I mean, what we have are companies that do provide often bundle of suites, bundle of things that you can have. You can have some of the cloud stuff in there. You have network stuff in there. You have IoT in there, different kind of things. In there. And then you've got point solutions. So you do have to look at it differently. The ones that are more platform-based, the ones that can do sort of all, all of everything, sometimes they win because a large enterprise is like, well, I'm just gonna enter, I'm gonna standardize on your platform and we'll figure out how to do the small little things. But then you also have best of breed, like if you need something in network intrusion, that's your one small problem. You want the best of the breed there. Well, then there's the platform guy is probably not gonna be good enough for you. You go for somebody else. So that's how you have to sort of understand, okay, which bucket do you fill in? Are you more of a platform guy? Are you more of a point solution guy? You don't wanna be in a situation where you're the bad point solution guy or you're not you're, you're a platform that's missing some big chunks that's how we try to figure out the buckets within the investment field no that makes a ton of sense and then tangentially to that are there other plays within information technology that build off of the theme that might not be direct investments in the theme for example I would think that, I mean, of course, within within cybersecurity, there's certainly a lot of other things that would come along. You definitely need to spend a lot on the infrastructure to make sure you can have visibility into your into your network. So you can have the software, you can have the cybersecurity solution, whatever the different things are, but you have to have the infrastructure. You have to have to make sure that, hey, we do realize there's a threat here. We do realize there's an intrusion here. We do realize there's something. From, okay, how do we counter that? How do we make sure that we have the kind of remediation tools, if you will, to be able to attack that? So that's a, that's a really related to cybersecurity, some of the things that you have to spend on top of the cybersecurity solution directly to make sure that I can address that theme properly. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. And so let's let's move on to artificial intelligence, because that's another big theme that you've mentioned. It's been in focus a ton lately, and it's clearly much broader than just chat GPT, which is taking the world by storm right now. What are some of the key growth areas within AI, and how should we think about it you know, beyond just IT? Yeah, so AI is definitely the buzzword at the moment. Uh, the number of management teams talking about using AI has just uh, exploded in the recent earnings calls and and the conversations that we have. But before we get there, let's sort of define what AI is. It is basically letting the computer decide based on certain inputs on its own, quote unquote. But it can be a bit simplistic. What AI means in the current scenario is using algorithms trained on massive amounts of data to come up with pattern recognition, make those decisions and basically judge how a human might. In order to do that, AI requires a foundation of specialized hardware, semiconductor chip called a GPU, a graphical processor, that is really, really focused on training that algorithm on that massive amount of data that we're talking about. You have to have the software for writing those training machine learning algorithms so we can feed it all that text and train the algorithm and can create a chatbot that can ask us questions that mimic how a human might because it has seen a similar similar word pattern among the millions and millions and millions lines of text it has actually read. So feed it a ton of images, it starts creating images by being those millions of images. Feed it a lot of other kind of uh, HTML code, it will start to spit out HTML code based on what it has seen among millions and millions of lines of codes. So AI can be great at a whole lot of repetitive tasks that a human might waste doing, but it has its limitations based on how creative it can be. So the most immediate impact, as I just said, on the semiconductor chip side of things, GPUs are gonna be important, memory is gonna be very important. These large data centers are needed to train these algorithms, do, do all that work to make sure that the AI is actually spitting out the right answers for you, right? And then you not only do you have to train it, but you also have to fine tune. This is a new concept with the, with the with ChatGPT, the latest version that really caught the world by storm, is not the fact that we had a big, multi, it's called it's, uh, you know, the big training data that's been going on for some time. What ChatGPT 
recent version did was that it basically fine-tuned it by using human input to say, hey, no, that doesn't make sense. When you spit that answer back, that didn't make sense. Use it this way. So what it did was that it really gave a lot more polish, if you will, to the answers coming back and it made it feel a lot more human-like. That was a huge, huge influence. And for all of that, what you need is a lot of semiconductor usage. And then with that, of course, with every chip, you have other things in the data center that interact with that chip. You've got optical components, you've got ethernet components, you've got uh, servers, obviously you've got memory, you've got whole. So the whole entire data center infrastructure market will see an uplift from, from, from AI going up. One of the things that we uh, that we were fascinated, Google came out and talked about how an AI-based search query is about 10 times as intense on their backend than you know, your standard query that we've all been doing for, for years now. Of course, this intensity gap between you know, AI-based query versus a standard query will shrink over time as AI gets better, but it does show you that this AI is cool, but it costs a lot of money. Uh, along the way, you need investment in software tools to build those applications that can utilize what the algorithm is saying, sort of make it sense uh, for human terms. A lot more software will be sold to people who will need to make sense of what I can do for them and how they can automate various tasks by utilizing it. One of the recent examples that I saw is basically from a coding point of view, a whole bunch of coders. Now that initial call it 20, 30, 40% of the time they did on just repetitive tasks of setting up the code, uh, putting the initial lines that setting up the libraries, all of that can just be done automatically through AI via chat GPT or what have you. And now they can go and then now developer can go and then actually do the real creative aspect of it on. So, so a lot of software tools will be sold to, to various end markets to explain to them to like, hey, how can I use this amazing thing beyond you know the silly stuff that we've all been doing chat GPT for? And then you have to also remember that other tools are required to continuously train this AI algorithm. So what you have is the beauty of this system is not the fact that you just, hey, once we train it, we're done. It's a continuous system to improve the algorithm. That's what that's what's going to be very interesting to see the the kind of tools that will be developed to continue to improve this stuff to get better and better and better. Yeah, that's that's a great point. The the continued training investment that's going to be required in that, and then I mean just the, the staggering statistic that you had of of an AI based search query is ten times more intense on the back end than a regular query. I mean, it really highlights how much is going to need to be invested in this at the end of the day. And you know, I've I've got to ask you as well before we leave the AI subject: Have you used Chat GPT or Bard? Were you impressed? I know I have my own opinions, and I haven't really used it for many great useful cases, but how does it get leveraged just beyond search engine? I know you touched on that just a little bit, but, you know, based on my own interactions and my questions to GPT and responses, we're we're still a long way from robots taking over the world or people, you know, robots taking over our jobs. Um, You know, I'd love to get your input on that, Tariq. Yeah, no, absolutely. Chat GPT is, it is sort of the aha moment in AI, right? For the longest time, as I said, we have used various aspects of AI. We've used these automated generated responses from the computer, right? When, as you're writing your email in Gmail and so forth, even Outlook does that now. It tells you the next image. So that those are all, those are all, you know, low level AI as it's called, but it was less than useful. However, Chat GPT really showed how amazing AI can be on the consumer level. It's like, um, 
I guess how Netscape browser was back in mid 1990s, it showed you the power of the internet. Internet was there and was being used by universities and research facilities, etc. But not something ordinary people could easily use. ChatGPT is that killer app that shows you the power of AI. So I think this that's it's going to be very fantastic. We have already seen instances whether in, in coding side of things, people writing emails. As a personal point of view, I love it. I've not used Google's Bard, and I know some issues have come up with that. But I have used ChatGPT to write outlines of things I'm working on. I would like to say that I wrote this whole, I, I, I came up with this thought process of the conversation that we're having on ChatGPT, but it's not that good. I have certainly drafted tons of emails, the quick emails that you need to do a lot of stuff on. Uh, ChatGPT is great for that. I've tested by asking existential questions about life, death, and everything in between, and, and figured out some interesting uh, interesting answers from there. I've written, I've tested out the whole computer code writing thing on AI. It's got, it's, it's strong, it's powerful. I used to do computer coding way, way, way back in the day. And and this this is this is way way ahead of whatever I was able to do uh, a few years ago. So it's pretty amazing from that point of view. Uh, it's great for starting. It's a great start. I feel like it's a great starting point for various projects. But you have to work on to make sure you cannot use that auto generated response that ChatGPT gives you, but rather edit and make sure first of all, like is it accurate or not, right? Like that's the biggest issue is that you have to make sure first of all uh, the accuracy is there. It is it's using the right facts, etc. And then you have to you can adapt it to your personal style and sort of represent your viewpoints and so forth. So that's where it really gets interesting. Uh, it's great for silly jokes. Uh, I've used a bunch of dad jokes that I try with my kids. Oddly enough, I find uh, Chad GPT's jokes way funnier than my kids, but that's probably not the AI's fault. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's, it's funny how we find interesting uses for, for all of the stuff as, as it comes up. But I'm going to do a 180 as well, because I think one area as we, as we build on this conversation and we think about applying all of these different secular growth themes. Another area we don't talk a lot about is, is industrial technology. You know, thinking about how construction, manufacturing areas, how are those parts of the economy leveraging these sorts of technologies in their development? Yeah, so I feel like this is a very exciting area. Uh, we're on the cusp, of, I, be, I mean, I believe we're on the cusp of a, of a very big, but slow and measured adoption of advanced technology tools in industrial projects. This is not a consumer area which adopts things quickly. It's not enterprise data center which comes in very quickly. It is slower, but it's a big market. Uh, we already see software being used to uh, plan, design, and construct and build things, of course. However, as the technology is getting better and more user-friendly, especially using cloud computing that we were talking about, it opens up access to so many more users than before. Uh, I believe industrial tech is a very exciting area. One of the most exciting areas, at least to me, is this concept called digital twins. In effect, uh, digital twins is a, is a virtual model uh, designed to reflect an actual physical item. The digital twin is a virtual copy of that physical asset. It could be something as small as an engine in a toy car or as massive and complex as a multi-billion dollar project for a building or a massive bridge. With digital twins, advantages are that you can then simulate the various environmental impacts before the project even begins. And more importantly, after the project's completion, the digital twin technology can help diagnose those problems and reduce the number of times actual physical activity is required on that object. And Tariq, how is that different then from simulation or design software, which are things we've had for, you know, I'll say decades at this point? 
Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. So really, the difference is the is the marrying of that computer aided design, the CAD design, the blueprints with the real time sensor and the IoT data coming from the equipment or whatever the product is. Right, real world input is fed into the digital twin, so that the digital twin on the computer maintains fidelity with the real world object that's in the field. The wear and tear on the equipment, for example, can be updated in real time, so you know which part is about to fail before it actually fails and causes damage. So you want to be able to be proactive rather than reactive and digital twins helps you do that simulation is, is, is basically before the actual product is built use that for planning and designing and so forth the digital twin helps you maintain that object in the real world after it's been deployed and so one area is as we think about and talk about these major secular growth themes i don't think we can say we've done a good job unless we touch on this it's electric vehicles it's a major growth engine for traditional car makers it's given rise to a whole new group of auto manufacturers but this growth is powered by technology and chips so Drake, how do you look at the growth opportunity within evs from your technology hat your technology standpoint and how do you segment those investable opportunities yeah, no, absolutely. So the electric vehicles are just amazing. I mean, I, I know there is some debate regarding whether they're actually less harmful when you take into consideration the entire production process and where the electricity is being sourced from, the uh, the mining for the for the various uh, rare earth metals, and, uh, et cetera, and the lithium that goes in there. So there is certainly some debate there. But overall, from, from my point of view, I found the camp that EVs are just better vehicles. Uh, there are things that need to get better in the vehicles themselves, such as charging time and range, as well as infrastructure needed to support the vehicles. But over time, EVs should continue to take share from your traditional ICE vehicles. And almost every auto manufacturer is trying to replicate the success of the leader in this space. Besides the auto manufacturers themselves, we are looking at quite a few different ways to play this major theme. Uh, one area is in the chips that are being used in these vehicles. The semiconductor content rises dramatically from traditional vehicle to an electric vehicle. Bad battery management, inverters, powertrain, motor management are all areas where semiconductor content usage rises dramatically in these new type of vehicles. Add in things like automated driving with sensors and cameras, better infotainment systems, an electric vehicle can have as much as 10 times the semiconductor content than a traditional vehicle. I believe we've done an earlier episode on semiconductors that really just focused a lot on how the, the auto market uh, and how the semi-usage is in the auto market. And then for us, one specific area within semis for EVs that we're focusing on is something called silicon carbide. This is a type of a semiconductor that helps to charge the car faster and retain more of that charge. That's helped that range issue that, that I was talking about, that some of the things that need to get better. Silicon carbide is definitely part of the answer how to make EVs better. Silicon carbide inverted chips are chips that can handle much higher voltage of power coming into the car at a much higher temperature, as opposed to the traditional silicon, what they call IGBT inverters that have low tolerance for voltage. Silicon carbide based inverters can tolerate a lot more voltage coming in. Plus, silicon carbide inverters tend to be smaller in size, weigh a lot less, the power density is a lot higher. So all in, you can have a lighter vehicle or use more of those silicon carbide inverters to increase the speed with which those vehicles charge. With silicon carbide in vehicles themselves and the charging stations, there's a ton of growth coming for this product. It does require a lot of capex and some cost reductions. Uh, so you are seeing companies announce big factories so they can get the scale to reduce the costs. Uh, so it can be as broadly used as, as expected. Big factories are going up in uh, New York. There's one in North Carolina, another one in Colorado, uh, and one in Europe, big announcement in Europe, in Germany. Uh, they'll be serving uh, a huge, huge wave of, of demand for silicon carbide chips. So very we are very excited about this area for the next five years or so. 
Another related areas to EVs, although it doesn't specifically have anything to do with the motors or powertrains is what I was talking about with automated driving, what's called ADAS. Given auto manufacturers are already revolutionizing how the car's internal system is working, uh, they've also been adopting tools that help the car drive itself. Although there's one auto manufacturer that's taken a lead in marketing this, the technology is far, far from perfect. As somebody who has played with the system and the beta version and the high-end betas, it's, it is very, very far from perfect. For a good functioning high-level ADAS system, I'm in the, in the camp that you need cameras to take in the visual of what's around the car. You may also need these laser-based radars, the LIDARs, and a whole bunch of companies provide these kind of tools. Uh, and then going back to the AI discussion earlier, this whole concept of using camera and sensors and LIDARs to make sense of what's happening on the vehicle is called machine vision. And the algorithm is making that decision on the fly. You need a lot of processing power in terms of the chips and then connecting it back via ethernet-based connectivity to various parts of the car. And it all needs to happen 100% correctly and very quickly as the ramifications of a wrong decision for a vehicle going 60 miles an hour are very different than a wrong answer to my chat GPT query. So, uh, so yeah, there are a lot of very interesting areas within this uh, new car theme, whether that's in the in cool new entertainment systems, uh, multiple displays, internal combustion being replaced by the electric mo motors, and even, even within the electric motors, there are different types of electric motors and how they're being utilized. Uh, battery technology needs to get significantly better. So there's a lot of different ideas here that, that we've been looking at that we're involved with currently, as well as looking for future. Well, that's great. And there's a lot I'm excited about just listening to all of this. And I know we're, we're running low on time, so I've got one final question. And that's to ask you, Trick, what are you most excited about going forward as you think about the intersection of the current market environment and the opportunity set behind all of these secular growth drivers? Yeah, so honestly, I'm most excited about technology investing as a whole. You know, what we started the discussion with the valuations are a lot more palatable now, a lot more sense investors, and even, of course, in companies that free money days are over. We can really discern in this new environment between companies that are allocating capital in a reasonable way and where there will be returns. Uh, this kind of environment is exactly where you want to be able to find those true innovators in small cap or the ones that are truly disrupting massive markets in mid cap with business models that will help them earn proper returns utilizing these various themes. These themes haven't gone away. They may be ups and downs a little bit. There are accelerations, there are decelerations a little bit, for sure. But these themes don't go away. And with the valuations and, and, and some of these things coming back, we are looking at you know all sorts of companies. Some of them may be profitable, some of them not profitable. But the attention remains on the business model, unit economics, and how these management teams will earn return on the investments that they're making. Perfect. Tariq, this has been a fascinating, really enlightening discussion. So thank you so much for your time. I certainly thank all of our listeners for, for tuning in. Hopefully you all found it as, as interesting as I did. And until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to Markets in Focus from Raymond James Investment Management. You can find additional episodes and market insights at marketsinfocuspodcast.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, I'm Matt Orton. Podcasts are for informational purposes only. 
This channel is not monitored by Raymond James Investment Management. Please visit marketsandfocuspodcast.com for additional disclosure. This material is a general communication being provided for information purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction. Nor is it a commitment from Raymond James Investment Management or any of its affiliates to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and you should not rely on it in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and make their own determinations together with their own professionals in those fields. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions, and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given, and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yield are not reliable indicators of current and future results. Past performance does not guarantee or indicate future results. There is no guarantee that these investment strategies will work under all market conditions, and each investor should evaluate their ability to invest for the long term, especially during periods of downturn in the market. Investing involves risk and may incur a profit or loss. Investment returns and principal value will fluctuate so that an investor's portfolio when redeemed may be worth more or less than their original cost. Diversification does not ensure a profit or guarantee against loss. 